Hey everyone, this is Christina. I'm one of the co-founders and co-admins of SLPs of Color on Instagram. We are an inclusive and intersectional community for SLPs, audiologists, and students. And this is Karen. I am also one of the co-admins at the SLPs of Color. Today, we will have part two of Nima Novak's interview. So if you haven't already listened to the first part of her interview, go back, give us some feedback, check it out, and then come back to this episode. Thanks. So it's like, if you want to meet your school, your goals as a school program, you want to support your students, you want to send good SLPs out in the world who are trained to the best of their ability, like, this has got to change. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I talked a lot. No, I I was, I was, (laughs) I was um, caught on every word or, you know, you, you really spoke to so many different things that are, I think, so important for people to hear and to understand. And this summer and even after when, um, when I started to notice on social media, people were saying, pay, pay black creators, pay people of color Mm -hmm. for the labor. And you, you sharing like your experience of having all of these physical symptoms from the emotional aspects of this work that you're doing, it, it just, it, it's not, um, it's not something that I, I think people do truly understand and mm-hmm. how, how this topic is, um, how racism and anti-racism work is and can be very empowering, but also very draining. And figuring mm-hmm. out that balance can be a, a day-to-day issue, especially uh, if you're organizers or if you're, educating yes. people different from yourself in that way. Yes. Um, yes. You also said something that that I think is really important for people to hear too, and that it's seeking help and seeking, um, seeking resources to help you manage those, those feelings. Um, I think as people of color, we are, we are strong and resilient. And I think we shoulder a lot of, of responsibility to, to be strong and to continue to be resilient. Um, And that, that can come from being a child of an immigrant and immigrant ourselves or um, generational trauma making us, you know, be very strong. But also we are, we are humans. So we have uh, softness and vulnerabilities and that's okay too. You can have both. You can be strong and vulnerable and you can be uh, Mm -hmm. stressed out and soft. And sometimes those things happen Mm -hmm. um, in like a a dichotomy, you know, Uh, sometimes it's, Mm -hmm. it's more of a mixed experience. And I think right now with the pandemic too, people are really struggling because Mm -hmm. what our resources were before, like friends and being out in the world um, is an extra layer of that. And what I wanted to mention was, I think community building and finding out who your people are, um, you know, with that come from um, an experience that you can resonate with, or you feel some sort of acceptance or inclusion in a in a community that's really important too and so you can lean on those people um to to help support you through that emotional emotional uh labor cost like that you were talking about that's kind of how slps of color started it was more of yeah we're trying to find people that that can relate to us and maybe it's not exactly the same, but there's not very many of us in this field. So let's let's build some community with each other. And and that was really healing in the beginning because people knew exactly what I was talking about when I would say, oh, I had a wealthy white parent um, tell me that I'm wasting their kids' time. And it was a completely unfounded, um, you know, thing to say to me because I am a professional and do my job well. 
right. they're like, oh, yes, we understand. Like, you know, it's a power trip. And, and, yeah. and they, they just, they knew because they were in my community and they maybe have heard that or experienced that themselves. Yeah. Um, so navigating, navigating these tough times, I think, requires us to say, or to acknowledge, you know, some of the struggles that we're having for other people to acknowledge it too. And then to figure out a way to work through it together. So the professors yes. with their, with their undergrad and grad students or with us as SLPs with our patients and, and our students. Yes. Yes. I love all of that. I also love SLPs of color. So if anyone is out there, go join the zoom meetings when they're happening. Like it's really nice. Um, also, I wish that hadn't happened to you with that parent. Just going to throw that out there too. Um, so oh yeah. Nima's referring to, Nima's referring to our Los Angeles uh, group of organizers. I don't want to call them a chapter necessarily because we don't, we're still a grassroots organizing organization. And um, so they're not a chapter, mm -hmm. but we have SLPs of color in the Los Angeles, Southern California area. And they are doing a great job of um, facilitating meetings and happy hours and, and trying to keep the community of SLPs in the Southern California area connected and feeling like we still have, have a community during this crazy pandemic. Yeah, yesterday we donated food too. It was really fun. We went around to the LA community fridges. So I would say definitely connect. Um, yeah, I love what you said about community. I want to hear some of the things that you guys are doing. And then um, I also wanted to share some of the things that I've learned in my trauma-informed quest <laughs> they've been really helpful during COVID <laughs> so yeah yeah I would love actually to hear a little bit about how you how you are navigating the pandemic and and um, COVID-19 as well as doing this work and if that's been a shift for you mm -hmm. um, I'm sure it has but yeah, yeah. please please share the um, Before you get started, yeah. I wanted to ask, or just to clarify, um, for all of the listeners that don't know what living in oh, empathy you. is, um, if you could share a little bit about what it is, what the mission is, uh, in reference to some of the presentations you were talking about with universities. I don't want any of the listeners to get confused um, okay. on what exactly your work is, because you mentioned you were working with preschoolers, with school-age children as an SLP, um, and then you're talking a lot about universities, too. So speech therapy hat. I love little kids. I'm working, I intentionally am working with preschoolers right now because I get so much joy from the actual work with them. That is one of my battling COVID blues things because I just really look forward to um, the sessions with the kids. And then with, um, then separate from that is a business that I started with my friend Erin Matthews, she's a brilliant black therapist in Chicago. We um, were working together and in the same community. And that was just after the murder of George Floyd, it was like I was sick to my stomach. And this that was the motivation that pushed me to say, what can I do more? How can I contribute in a bigger way than just donating money or reposting or going to a protest, which are all very valid, awesome ways. For me, though, it wasn't enough. This was kind of a bigger call to action. So if anyone else is feeling that way, come join us. We started a business called Living in Empathy. The website is livinginempathy.com. The Instagram is at livinginempathy. Come check us out. And really what it is is... Um, it is not your average diversity training. It is an invitation to a deeper life shift into action, doing anti-racism actions every day and to truly be an ally versus a white savior or doing performative allyship 
Um, we, I'm really happy to say we worked with Northwestern, um, some other big uh, companies, and in our work we did a beta study and it was very successful. 96% um, reported they felt more comfortable with um, people of diverse backgrounds and 100% said they would recommend it. So that's really great. We have lots of testimonials you can check out if you're still like, I don't know what this is. Um, we want this to be, when I talk with Erin about, um, you know, being a Native woman and the continual epidemic of murdered and missing Indigenous women, and just that's really where my passion comes from, empowering young women to not just be survivors, but to thrive in life. And then she has a daughter. And when we're talking, we're like, we don't want to be having the same conversation in 20 years. Like, we don't want to be sitting at the kitchen table talking to, like, the kids we're coaching or her daughter. Like, this is where we need to make a change. And just as we saw in the recent election where there was an increase in white women voting for Trump, Aaron and I see that as a large group of people that can help us with this revolution. Um, and so really our goal, I would say to summarize a group, it's compassion-based small group work. It comes with homework. Um, so within the, maybe it's about five or six hours of work. And then um, we just really want to empower people and to say like, it's not that white privilege is bad. And if you have some shame and guilt, that's okay. Like, come as you are. We will work through the feelings. That's where Erin brings in her expertise of being a therapist. That's where I bring in the somatic mind and body work. And then we can help you move. And I'm humbled by the transformations that we're seeing happening. And it, it's really powerful. I feel like we're also creating a community um, for people to connect because just as we were saying, being a person of color is difficult. You need community. Doing anti-racism work is also really difficult and fatiguing. And, um, you know, from Harvard research, neither, it's not sustainable if, you, if you're not in community. The studies show that if you're trying to do anti-racism work by yourself, you're going to burn out and have a lot of fatigue and apathy where if you're working in a community. So we want to build an anti-racist empire. <laughs> so that's living in empathy. And the balance of them has been challenging in COVID. Um, I would say the places, you know, I really am leaning on building community. And in my speech therapy job, I'm new. So I just moved to Santa Monica. So I don't really know anybody here. But um, just even though like we're not in person, I'll still call um, one of the women who works in the front office and we'll just check in every day. And it's not a long check-in. It's just like, hey, how's it going? I got these questions. How are you? How's your family? And having, you know, building in that daily connection with her has been very powerful and connecting. And even though I'm a brand new employee, right? Um, and then also just finding a lot of joy in the actual sessions is good. The living in empathy work, <laughs> that's a whole other beast. Um, but I find a lot of community in working with Erin, um, connecting with my parents, um, friends. Having this conversation with you has been really great, too. It's very validating. Um, working with the people who sign up for the group has also been great to build community in the moment with them and um, share space and hold space with them to be themselves that motivates me to keep doing the work. And then outside of that, I just have to like eat healthy and like set reminders on my phone to drink water. And um, I moved to Santa Monica so I could go for a walk to the beach every day because um, the ocean is really healing. I realize that's not something that everybody can do, but I had flexibility. So I was able to relocate. 
Um, and then just, I have to, I'm a person who has to like put it on my calendar and be like, you're going to work out at this time. And then I make sure I am checking that off. And I, if it's on the calendar, I'll do it. So it's kind of, I would say, understanding what your strengths are and using that. And I kind of just also think of it as like, I really love the brain. Um, and just like, how can I like biohack my brain to cultivate joy? And that's, you know, again, research. We love research. Laughter, reading, meditation, coloring, art. I've started writing music in COVID. That's a new thing for me. Um, journaling is really healthy for your brain. And so I try to like structure those into my day and my week. So if I haven't watched a funny movie by Friday, I'm like, uh-oh, funny movie night. <laughs> Gotta watch something funny. So I laugh. Um, and then just doing like the Zooms with friends and um, yeah, and just really, I, for me, it's important to be eating healthy and I'm not drinking during COVID because I just think that would not be good for me. But yeah, that's how I'm coping. And then um, I do a lot of the somatic work too, which um, there's a video on my Instagram and it's where I combine um, mindful self-compassion, which is evidence-based by Kristen Neff and Chris Germer. I highly recommend their coursework or the book. Um, it's, it resonates with a lot of the things we've been talking about. And then also polyvagal theory. Um, and then using those tools to reduce the cortisol in my brain so that when I do watch a funny movie or I do read a book, then I can be producing serotonin and endorphins to help myself feel better. What are you guys doing? <laughs> um, for me... I have just been checking out of using my phone at oh, all times. That's awesome. I need um, to do that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't real realize how relieving it was to kind of be off the grid until yeah. I started doing it. Um, because I'm about five months into my my clinical fellowship now. Um, mm -hmm. And when I started my CF, I was binging every day, looking for resources, evidence-based practice, research articles, things that would help me learn how to be a clinician um, mm -hmm. for every day up till maybe like the three-month mark. Um, and at like the three, three-and-a-half-month mark, my supervisor had asked me, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what's been stressing you out? How's your mental health been? And, and I told her, I was very honest, like, it's not been great. <laughs> Um, I've been stressing myself a lot. Um, I told her what I was doing every day after work, not necessarily bringing work home because it's not like the paperwork I'm doing point of service. So it, I can't, I'm not bringing work home, but mm -hmm. in the capacity of how can I be a better clinician of bringing work home? And she, she just told me like, you need to stop you. Like you've been doing this for three months. Do you feel like that's been helpful? And I told her no. And she's like, exactly. It's something that you have to build over time with experience. So what you need to do is you need to find different ways to check check yourself out. Mm -hmm. um, not think about work. Once you're done with work, maybe on the drive home, you can take that time to think about it. And once you get home, don't think about it. Don't do anything work-related because you are burning yourself out. Mm -hmm. So since for the last month and a half to two months of not being on my phone or social media, I mean briefly maybe for like 10 minutes scrolling realizing there's nothing of importance for me unless there's something that I had planned with friends for like a zoom call or something I I just try to avoid it um and it's been good I that's it took awesome. a couple of weeks to try to build that habit but it that's basically the thing that it's been kind of holding me down during COVID um and just taking the time to sleep recognize mm -hmm. when I'm eating uh, or what I need to eat. It's kind of more of the the very basics. Yeah. For me. What about you, Christina? Um, well, I'm working from home. So, you know, my therapy with my students, I'm also working with preschoolers 
this school year. It's all online. Um, and I live in a studio, nothing glamorous. So I, I have a very small amount of space. So Nima, like you, I try and go for walks and I live near the ocean as well here in California. And um, that is such a, a privilege. And I recognize that also knowing that this is unceded Ohlone land. And um, those are the indigenous people that, that inhabited this, this land before us. Um, and they're still alive and they're still thriving. And yes. um, <laughs> and uh, you mentioned earlier, federally recognized uh, oh, yeah. Native nations versus non. So the Ohlone people are not federally recognized. Um, but I I take that to, to heart and, um, and knowing that it's a privilege to live here and uh, trying to get uh, as much sunlight as I can because um, that's very healing for me. Like Karen mentioned, also trying not to be on social media too much because um, I think it's just sensory overload for me. It's it's processing too many things and too many opinions and um, it, it kind of clouds, I think, my perspective. And then also knowing that there's algorithms involved, so I'm just going to be fed the same similar things over and over again it's like eh, I don't need to be on social media that much um <laughs> which is difficult because SLPs of color is an online platform and and yep. so I <laughs> I've had a lot of positive experiences using social media and trying to disseminate information for the community and followers that we have on that page but also taking healthy breaks from it too um and connecting with friends mm -hmm. and family and my partner and, um, you know, doing, doing things that I enjoy, like reading, if I can sustain attention long enough to read or painting, which I really enjoy because I feel very present and in the moment when I am creating a painting and, um, like arts and crafts. I, I took up, uh, clay during, Ooh. during COVID times. Awesome. Um, because it you get your hands messy and um, and you and there's a, a byproduct of the work that you do with clay. So I'm doing that, and I'm a, a houseplant collector. So tending to my houseplants and the life forces that that has. So that's really calming for me. Um, you know, something you were mentioning, Nima, too earlier when we were talking about the emotional toll that that anti-racism work does mm -hmm. for someone. And you had mentioned uh, mindfulness, breathing and acupuncture and chiropractor. And I was just thinking it's uh, the way in which we, we care for ourselves too can also be decolonized. Uh, yes. Acupuncture is like a, an, an ancient Chinese remedy yeah. and what I've noticed, and I don't know if other people's social media feeds are the same because I know that mine is very curated to my algorithm, but I notice a lot of people too now are using stones, um, different uh, gemstones, and people are appropriating like burning sage and, and that kind of thing too. And it's, it's, I think people are searching for ways to regulate themselves because when we feel regulated, then we can do all the other things that we want to do or need to do in our lives. Um, but there's a, there's a way that mm -hmm. we can also take care of ourselves that is decolonized as well, like allowing ourselves to rest and not being in this cycle of um, perpetual production. Like we have to be a producer to be considered right. valuable in the society. Right. And, and right. that is steeped in white supremacy and, right. and the ways in which we care for ourselves. Um, acupuncture, you know, yoga, which is a tradition from India and practice from India as well. Mindfulness meditation has its roots in Buddhism. Um, so those different, those different um, things, I think people maybe now here in the United States don't realize, no, these have, these are practices from other cultures that we are adopting now, because 
I don't know. I want to say white researchers did some research and yes, like quantified it. Are reading <laughs> my mind. <laughs> Not everything has to be evidence-based practice. Yes, that's important, but also clinical experience is yes, a thousand percent. I brought up polyvagal theory because. Um, it's evidence-based practice. So if someone's listening and they're like, oh, I want to Google that, you're going to go find a bunch of books on it. But it's basically a white dude was like, hey, that's cool. They do that in yoga. Let me do some research on it and call it something else. Like, yes. So yes to everything you said. <laughs> um, I would recommend, I love what you said about the nervous system regulation too and how to think of it, how, um, I, that's how I think of it. How can I decrease cortisol so that, because your brain can only be producing cortisol or the happy brain chemicals. You can't do both at once. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do I reduce the cortisol, change the function in my brain so then I can boost the happy ones. Yeah, the, the, it's, if anyone's interested, it's called BDNF, and it's the precursor to all those happy brain chemicals. You can only produce one or the other. So I'm always like in my head, I'm like, okay, how can I make more BDNF? <laughs> I'm running low. <laughs> I don't feel that good. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and whatever awareness that, because I was thinking, I, I had done a similar thing, and I... I remember looking into those things and trying to learn about how my brain worked, try to learn about stress response and fight yeah. or flight or freeze and yeah. all of those things. And it was really helpful for me to understand myself and my behavior. Yes. And it, it was also uh, that knowledge made me feel empowered to try different things in my daily life and, and my coping strategies and, also how I interacted with my students yes. um, because when like we studied um, you know a little bit of neurology or neuroscience in our in our programs but there's so much to the brain and I find it fascinating I find human behavior fascinating so I can definitely see um, <laughs> you know the, the relationship in, in that research and applying that to our field and how important that is. Um, I wanted to ask you something a little bit about um, your experience being Indigenous, uh, being Native, and mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier um, the, the intergenerational trauma and mm -hmm. um, I I know that you were saying it informs your experience in the world um, and you're working with, with Native children now. I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that. Um, ha for you, has it always been um, a, like you had a understanding of I am Indigenous, this is what it means to me? I guess my question is more like, do you was there a point where all of a sudden you understood your your racialized identity and and this label of being indigenous and what that meant to the world and what that means to you and maybe how they're different but also um maybe how that affects you as a therapist or a speech therapist um in the work and the setting that you do now does that make sense that was a yeah, so that I could probably talk about that for like five hours. So this is <laughs> going to be the super short version. Um, I would say, without getting too much into my own personal history, that I had a really amazing professor in college who helped me navigate um, my own identity, being Native. And just like I said in the very beginning, it's so complex and layered and different for every person. So if someone is um, in a space where they are navigating this themselves, feel free to reach out to me directly on Instagram um, or look for a mentor that could help you 
um, cause it's not easy. You know, any identity stuff is not easy. Also my short answer is that it's evolving. Um, it changes every day as I learn more, um, as I meet more native people, um, putting myself in a space where I, the spotlight is on me more than in the past. Cause it was not something that I would openly, um, publicize for safety mm -hmm. issues for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, but now that I am putting myself out there in this way with this identity, um, you know, first and foremost, a lot more people, people have been reaching out to me and then as I'm, speaking with more people um i am seeing even more complexities you know not just based upon my own personal experience um and then the generational stuff i feel like um that's also not a short answer but right basically since we're it's the the eve of thanksgiving <laughs> the national holiday right that it's like where we give gratitude the colonizers came everyone was happy and really that's like the the day when like you know day one of like the oppression of native people and like the history um this kind of goes into decolonizing your mind but you, we were mistaught. We've been, you know, this is where it's like uh, you have to have some self-compassion in your anti-racism work because we have been mistaught about the history of the United States for 400 years. Um, and I, like the story of Pocahontas, right? That's a great example. It's glorified in as like Disney princess. Everyone wants to be the sexy Pocahontas who the white man falls in love with, right? In reality, she was a 12-year-old girl who was kidnapped and, you know, sacrificed herself for the well-being of her tribe. Like, mm -hmm. can you imagine being that young and sacrificing yourself for the betterment of the rest of your tribe? Like, I don't even, I don't even see that happening today. And she was kidnapped and raped. Yet, how it's presented in the media is so different. Mm -hmm. um, and that caricature, the mascots, um, the, even talking about natives. I love how you brought up um, the land that you're on, you're occupying, that the natives are still alive. Like speaking of Native Americans in past tense is that dehumanizes us and makes us more vulnerable to violence. Um, and so I'm, I'm, there's so many topics here. <laughs> I feel I like know. I could just go I know. Off, but it was such a generational trauma that's been going on for 400 years. Yeah, so honestly, it's the first, yes. I mean, it sounds like she was the first recorded, and I've seen this on like native TikTok too, that she was the first recorded missing, missing yes. and murdered indigenous yes. woman. And, yes. and let me accentuate recorded. Mm -hmm. That's the first one that was recorded. It's go, there's so many that are unrecorded. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to stick to generational trauma because that's a great question of how to think about your clients, how to approach like me as a modern native woman, but that violence, that affects when someone experiences trauma you can this is another evidence-based the ace studies is adverse childhood experiences that changes your actual genetics that changes how your genes present themselves so that's a whole lot of gene mutations being passed down someone experiences trauma they pass those genes down onto someone else and then that person is coming in with altered dna and then they experience a trauma so now the next generation is getting even more mutations so it's like on a structural level and then on an environmental level right like if you're born into violence or alcoholism you know those are coping mechanisms and then that's passed down also environmental that whole nature versus nurture right 
that's existing for 400 years. And that's where the impact of generational trauma, I think. So when I meet Native people today, I'm like, wow, just like you said, strong and resilient and also an effing miracle Mm -hmm. because you and your family have survived intentional erasure. Like we were not supposed to be alive. There are so many, and if this is where you got to think outside of what we've been taught in school, like things for people to look up are the murdered and missing indigenous. The hashtag is MMIW, um, two S for two spirit. Um, it might be MMIW or MMIWR for murdered, missing indigenous women relatives. Look up, uh, I'm getting all worked up. I'm forgetting everything I want to tell you. (laughs) There were laws like the Indian Removal Act Mm -hmm. where Native people, you can look up the Trail of Tears, um, residential schools. That was the one I wanted to bring up. The foster system has now become the modern day of residential schools. And lots of these things are current. Like yeah, the, the Dakota study. the Dakota pipeline was not too long ago. Yes, and I just was looking up in preparation for this podcast. Um, the current I there's a study in Seattle. I think it's the Institute of Indian Affairs. 2015, it was like 84 percent of Native women experience violence in their lives. That number is now 94 percent. I think it's compounded, right? Because of COVID, people are having to quarantine with their abusers, which is a whole nother thing that messes up my head. I get pretty sad about that, but 94% and that's reported. So if you're doing like, not everyone reports bad stuff that happens to them. So it's just like, Mm -hmm. this is current. Like this is a current issue And that's, again, goes back to everything we talked about. Like, if you have someone who is a student or a client, like, they are currently living in it. It's This isn't like, oh, the civil rights movement was then. It's like, it's happening now. And it's violent. And it's hurtful. And it's, so that's generational trauma stuff the short version, <laughs> but I definitely would say um, look up residential schools. If this is something where you're just like the light bulbs are starting to go off for you. Um, the residential schools just recently closed in the late eighties. So that's like barely 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get into that right now, but um, yeah, no. definitely. Well, I, appreci- I definitely appreciate you talking about that and and going there and, and being vulnerable about that because yeah. it is such a it's such a traumatizing topic and as as someone who is interested and curious about other people's experiences I think for clinicians it's important for us to to know the things we didn't learn in school yes. to find and seek yes. that information and even though this may not be our life experience, it is someone's life experience. And and going back to your your work in living with empathy, when we understand that this is someone else's experience, it helps us build that empathy. Yes. And and also is I think a stepping stone to being a true ally. You have to understand the problem. Yeah. Yep. You have to understand the problem. You have to want it to be different for other people, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and yeah, it's, it's so much. Um, and I think this time that we're into people are, are very self-reflective yeah. and, um, and so, you know, there are a lot of connections with, with um just with everything that's going on right now i mean we're we're all humans like we are <laughs> we're all again people people of color our our community is experiencing this awakening to racism right now in such different ways based on their yes. own racial racialized identities but yeah. also knowing that someone from a different race who is a person of color is experiencing something as well Mm -hmm. and 
So I really appreciate you bringing that up because it, it definitely is a perspective that we hope to cultivate in SLPs of color that this interracial group that we have, we are given an opportunity to learn from each other so that we can continue to build that empathy and, um, and learn uh, what we can do um, to make it a better field for us, for our clients, um, for students and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So thank you. Yeah. Right, One I thing did. too I wanted to add is this is again where I have to lean on self-compassion for myself and self-compassion for others where we can't know everything. We don't know what we don't know. And that's where if you're going out and you're going to, if you're listening to this podcast, right? Like go join a group that's led by a black indigenous person of color. You cannot learn about dismantling white supremacy from a white person because they don't know those blind spots. If you do have someone teaching, a white person teaching anti-racism work at your school, you are perpetuating white supremacy. You follow the money, right? Like where is the money going? If you're paying a white person, then the white person is profiting off racism. That is the literal definition of white supremacy. So go find teachers who are not white, go find teachers who are willing to do the work, right? Don't hit up your one black friend. Don't hit up your one Asian friend and say, Hey, do you, should I read this book? Like there, maybe you could ask, but don't expect that. Right. Because of all this, how we talked about the emotional labor, like we need to be checking on our friends, not asking more of them. And there are so many phenomenal anti-racism BIPOC teachers. So it's just find one that resonates with you. Living in empathy is compassion-based because that's where I come from in my meditation practice. That's Aaron's background also. And we really want to not place the burden of 400 years of racism on people, but rather say like, oh, you inherited this. How can you make change now? So see what resonates with you. And thanks for understanding. I feel so seen. I love SLPs of color. And if anyone is on the fence, like join in the conversation. Like I'm loving all the things you're posting and um, the, yeah, the meetups have been great, the virtual meetups. And I want, one thing you said too, was I really resonated with me and I thought maybe I wanted to hear more about it from you, but the most recent post that you guys did about the 8%, that like just hit me in the heart. I was like feeling it um, in such a good way. Yeah, that, that was actually written by um, my colleague and friend, um, Ruchi Kapila, and she does DEI work with a group um, called Intervested, mm-hmm. and she does that with uh, Dr. Inessa Humpert, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> um, I think sorry, it's Inessa Humpert. Inessa, thank you. And um, and yeah, they wrote this beautiful piece about what it is to be part of this group of underrepresented people of color or underrepresented people in our field. And what, what I got from it was what we posted about the great eight. So the 8% of us that according to ASHA are people of color in our field. Um, it is a self-identified percentage, but what that means using our unique gifts and our talents to, to just share our, our greatness in the world. And it, it's such a beautifully written piece and it felt unifying in that, again, our group, SLPs of Color on Instagram, we don't just talk about one racial group or one ethnic group because I feel like it's all of us against white supremacy. <laughs> you know, like it's... Yes! It's this... It's this co- <laughs> It's this collective experience of, and it's not the same, but we, we are underrepresented. We have different ways in which we are oppressed by white supremacy. And I want to know, me personally, Christina, I want to know what the experience is for someone else from a different background. Because if 
if on the off chance that I um, get to work with them or or be in the same space as them, I want to see them as a person. And yeah, that that post was so beautifully written. And so shout out to the InterVested team for, for writing that on Medium. Um, this is an invitation for any white people or white passing people to join, right? Like join us in fighting white supremacy. Um, I love that. And in Living in Empathy, I talk about this too, where in different environments, I have white passing privilege, right? Like the school I worked at in Chicago, I was the lightest skinned person in the room. And like, you have privilege. That's awesome. Use it. Come join the great eight. Fight racism. <laughs> like right. we can do this together. So I loved that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Next question. <laughs> Thanks for letting me talk so much off the questions. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I'm hanging on every word. <laughs> um, one of my next questions is about how you stay passionate about the field. Oh, speech therapy? Mm -hmm. Or anti-racism? I'll do kind I of guess both. both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess both. Um, anti-racism when people, well, two questions, people were like, how do I get asked this? Like, how do I know if I need to do it? Everybody needs to do it because nobody knows everything. Everyone has a blind spot. And then if you're looking for motivation, people are dying. So imagine if that was like your parent or your sibling or your child. That's why you do anti -ra That's my motivation where I'm just like, I don't, I don't want people to die for no good reason. Not that I, I should just say, I don't want people to die. <laughs> I won't put any caveats, but that's where it comes down to for me. Like I don't want young native women sex trafficked. I don't want to read about any more lynchings in 2020. So like, let's, let's move. Let's do something. Um, to stay motivated in speech therapy, man, I just feel so grateful. I love it. I love working with kids. I love the creativity that comes with this job. I think that gives me fuel, um, where you just always are, you know, you never know how a student's going to show up. You can have your best laid lesson plans and they go out the window. Like sometimes you have to be thinking on your toes and I really enjoy that part about it. And then the parts that I don't enjoy, <laughs> all the paperwork, <laughs> I try to just do in bite-sized pieces so mm -hmm. they're manageable because I don't like it. But it's part of the job, you know, like I signed up to do this. So I got to do the billing. I got to do the, you know, and I like even like progress notes. I hear a lot of people complain about that. And instead of thinking about like, oh man, I got to sit down and do these. I'm like, I try to think of it as like, oh my God, I get to talk about how awesome my students are. And I mean that truly, right? Like our students are, every student is making growth. So it's like, maybe they're not making it really fast, but if they're a slow paced student and they're making growth, like that growth is phenomenal. And so then it's like, I just get to give like shout outs to how awesome my kids are. And um, I also think I mentioned I coach basketball. So I think I just kind of, tap into that too of like being the person who's like I believe in you I'm a cheerleader mm -hmm. and I'm gonna push you so mm -hmm. that kind of all comes together for me and it really uh when I was not doing speech therapy in the summer and just doing the anti-racism work it was harder like the speech therapy fuels me it kind of fills my cup in itself so I feel really grateful for that and grateful that there that I have a job right now right like it's um a field that where we need more SLPs. So if you're on the fence, get out there, get into grad school. Yes. We need you. Um, yes. But, and then just kind of all the self-care stuff we talked about, you know, you'll have mm -hmm. hard days, hard weeks where you have a lot of IEPs, but that's where I really lean into. Like I need to keep my nutrition right. Make sure I'm moving my body. I have been really bad at drinking water during COVID. I don't know why <laughs> it's never been a thing before, but it's just like keeping my body functioning, like to do it. So in sleep, I think um, Karen brought that up. That's so important too. Yes. So. Yes. All the yeses. Yes to all of that. <laughs> and I do my vagus eye nerve releases to stay de-stressed. 
Nice. Um, I'm definitely going to look that up after we Yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you guys. Um, I made it, so I made a little video. So I was having trouble sleeping through the night when kind of, I go in these cycles with COVID where I'll be fine and I'll be like, oh, I slept for 13 hours. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, I'm only able to sleep for four hours. So I made the video for myself so I can just turn it on. You do the breathing exercise and the vagus nerve release and it, it just puts me back to sleep. So it's a really great nervous, re nervous system reset. So if you're kind of dysregulated in um, a higher energetic way, like maybe anxiety or like cyclical thinking, it can bring you down, bring you grounded. And then if you're feeling really low, maybe like depleted or can't get out of bed, it's also another exercise you can do that can bring you more grounded, bring you more to your centered self. And um, I just, now I do it in the morning when I wake up because you can do it laying down and I do it at night when I go to bed. So I hope it helps other people. Yeah. That's why I put shit out there. That. I was like, I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. That's that clinical experience. Like you said, <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, everyone. She's trying yes. <laughs> and it's worked for her <laughs> gotta check that out for sure <laughs> all right Nima so I think some of some questions that I have because you've given us so much information about just everything I, I feel like I've learned so much from hearing you speak and I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing your experience with us um, if you're willing to share a little bit more I'm wondering if there was any advice or encouragement or explanations that you would give to your younger self and if so what would what would that be well I, oh you know I I read that and I was like what a powerful question and now that I feel like we've had such a a deep and dynamic conversation it's my answer has changed um but I would tell myself that I believe in you even though you don't have a, don't you see representation or you don't see yourself, you don't have a role model to look up to, like you can do this. And yeah, I guess really just like, I believe in you. I think I had a lot of negative and critical self-talk when I was younger about, and I know again, something I'm not alone in where it's like, it has to be perfect. And just like, you've got this, like, this is, it only gets better. And um, I think too, something I've been really liking is that like the beauty is in the imperfections that don't, don't worry about that. Just follow, this sounds so cheesy, but like follow your instinct. And um, part of the reason I'm in Santa Monica right now is because something in me was like, go and it didn't really make sense on paper for me to move out here and um I just <laughs> followed my heart and it has you know when I think about my ancestors and just how that gives me a lot of hope and just know that like you're not alone and like follow like you're gonna you're gonna be okay it's gonna be great it's gonna be better than you even imagine <laughs> Um, and I think that's like advice too, for other people who are out there too, like find compassion for yourself. Like you're going to mess up and that's okay. That's part of being human. And that is what will shape you for the future to live more, uh, have deeper relationships and find the, find that beauty You'll, it'll, I feel like it's in the mistakes, you know, it's in the, yeah. So yeah, other, so that's also for like everyone else. Like you've got this, you've got this. Rest when you need to rest, hustle when you need to hustle, find balance, drink water. <laughs> that's what yes. I would tell my younger self too. Drink water, Nima. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Water is life, everyone. Drink your water. Um, and this is not a question that we have on the list that we sent you, but I'm wondering if you could reflect on something that you truly love. What is something that you really, really love? 
Gosh. For me, um, I love a lot of stuff. I think um, I have a lot of gratitude right now for my family. And it's, I think, something I think about too, like my friendships. And when I say family, it's not necessarily like your blood relatives, but it's like what you cultivate. And um, your chosen family. Yeah. And I, I'm really enjoying seeing each person individually shine in their own way. And I think that's also kind of like breaking out of that, like colonization mindset of like, it has to be this way. We have to do it this way. And um, I really enjoy seeing other people maybe like step into themselves. And also in like that, I also find that joy in speech therapy, in coaching, really in coaching basketball, like that was a really powerful experience. We didn't talk a lot about it, but it, I was the first time I had coached. It was the first time the girls had played basketball. The first time the parents had athletes, student athletes, and we had nothing. We had one basketball and we made it to state the first year. And just like the, it was a total mighty duck story. It was hard, but like, there's moments where I remember being with some of the girls and they're just like, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. And I would look at them and I'd be like, that's okay. Just do it again. Like, I'll do it with you. I'll run with you. And then by the end of the year, like these girls, um, just blowing my mind and the risks and like, you know, calculated risks. Like, am I going to go for that ball? Am I going to just, the, it's so smart and so like took so much grit and motivation. Just like, so I think I like, I love seeing other people blossom and I get that in smaller ways, like with the preschoolers. Right. But, but I remember too, yeah, I guess that's what I love. But it's also too, like even seeing my parents in COVID, if my mom hears this, she's not going to love this. She became the water instructor at her like gym. They have a really small gym. They're in Wisconsin. So it's, they're doing safety precautions, but they still, I don't know if they do right now, but before you could go in and she's a nurse practitioner, music teacher, like had all these other careers in her life. And I'm like, look at your next career. You're the water instructor. Like, and just like, I don't actually like go and watch her do the instruction, but just seeing her like step into this new realm for herself. I just love it. Um, so that is something that I love. And I feel grateful that I get to be a part of it or witness it. Mm -hmm. Like I realize that's a big privilege and that not everyone has that capacity or ability mm -hmm. so that's yeah I love so much though <laughs> I love yeah. the ocean <laughs> so mm -hmm. I love yeah I guess maybe human connection is that my that's my short answer beautiful beautiful thank you thanks for sharing that they gave me the warm and fuzzies in my heart <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what's in store for you in terms of the future? What what do you see yourself doing with living in empathy or your practice? Or are you liking Santa Monica? You're going to want to stay there. Like what, what does the future hold for you, you think, Nima? Um, so I had this really great plan before COVID. And so everything has turned up in the air. And um, I never had the intention of becoming like a small business owner or necessarily being a, um, an indigenous speaker. Um, so these are all really new realms for me. Um, but again, in the following my heart, this is uh, where I'm going and it feels right. Speech therapy I've learned is something um, that will always kind of be a part of my career path because um, like no matter how big living in empathy gets or I really want to do um, probably some like somatic coaching too. Uh, and I think it's going to be, uh, somatic is a word that in, in like mind and body connection, I feel like it's the same as somatic and really helping people like find their flow 
um, in COVID, my, my things I've learned that I need just like water are creativity and working with kids. Like those two things bring me so much joy. And um, I've been working with some people and finding their creative flow and doing that own like self-exploration. And that's also so much tied to your nervous system and how you set up your week. And um, so I would love to do that. That brings me a lot of happiness when I see other people or other artists who are like, I've got it, I did it. So that might be something to do on the side, but speech therapy has got to stay. And I think um, I, I, part of the reason I love the career is because there's so much, I have so many choices. Like if I decide I want to go work with adults, that's something I can pursue. Um, I love the idea of an outpatient rehab. Like that would be no IEPs and still could see the preschoolers and still see adults so that um, I didn't get into, I did have a pretty significant health um, like injury and had to go through, be on the rehab side of speech therapy and do speech therapy on myself. And um, we can do that on another podcast. <laughs> I'll talk about that. But it was really, I have a, you, I feel like it really opened my eyes to how people, how it feels to be the person who like can't eat regular food, who has to be on a modified diet, who, you know, is experiencing chronic issues. And so I liked it before working with adults. And now it's like a whole nother level of like understanding, like the feelings of like frustration and depression that can come with a significant injury. So that I feel like is in the future at some time, probably when I'm like no more IEPs. Yeah. So, yeah. So, again, yeah, it, but it, it sounds like these experiences really have built your capacity to truly live in empathy and, um, and I can see how that's like informing some of your experiences and, and where you want to go in the future. And that's really awesome. Thanks. Yeah. One thing I didn't bring up too, is I really love working with fluency students and I think that's an area that needs more research. So there's like a small part of me that like wants to go back to school. So I have like, I'm like, oh, I would write a thesis on this or this. Mm -hmm. And fluency is also um, one of them. But I, I feel really grateful that I love speech therapy. That is a cool, I, you know, that I feel happy about that. I'm never too grouchy about going to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel the same way. Being, um, you know, talking about privileges, uh, I think it's such a privilege and an honor and something that I hold with great regard and great esteem that I am able to work in the public schools, work with children that I am allowed, like I'm allowed to have this as a job and that um, that I, I can make an impact on these children's lives, but a lot of times they make an impact on me and their families. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's truly what care professions are you know, like, uh, yes, we, there are many things that we need to do for our students and our patients and things like that. But um, it, it does affect us too, because we all are humans. So yeah, um, I can, I can definitely relate to liking, liking going to work, liking signing on and seeing my students and how they yeah. may have grown since the last time <laughs> I've, I've talked to them. And um you know, if they say a new word or something like that, that they've never said before or, or communicated in a way that they've never communicated before. Yeah. 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 I do miss the in-person collaboration. I look forward to that when we're back in person. Yeah. I do feel like I have more family exposure and like talking with the parents, which I wasn't getting as much of when we were in person. It was just like yeah. this, like ships in the night, you know, just passing each other and yeah. like, talking for five minutes I could drop off or pick up and so it's nice to have a little more communication with parents and um I like and that. I think realizing too that we are a community as well like yes we are all our common focus is that we are trying to educate your child and and give them something of value for their future given yeah. the circumstances that we're in and that again is something that I think is such a a privilege um yeah, well, I think that's our time, Nima. 
I just so appreciate being able to hear you speak yeah. and everything. Our conversation was so lovely. So thank you so much on behalf of SLPs of Color. Yeah, this, this has been great. phenomenal for me too. So thanks Nima, for creating this space. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm glad that it it is resonating with people because um, I feel like there's a connected vision there, you know, and um, and uh, I was going to ask, um, can you tell our listeners again where people can find you on social media or how they can contact you if they wanted to uh, ask you more questions about things you mentioned? Yeah. Um, so I would say message me on Instagram at Nima. Dot Novak. It's N-I-M-A dot N-O-V-A-K. Um, I am on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect on there. And um, I have my email on the Instagram too. So feel free to email. I am not as responsive on either two of those. So um, we could always, if there's something, you feel free to Instagram and we can like set up a meeting or something through there to connect. Um, but yeah, I would welcome anybody to reach out if you have any questions. Yeah, I'm just, thank you. I'm feeling a lot of gratitude too. So, so nice to talk with you, Christina and Karen. Thank you. Thanks, Nima. All right. Thank you so much to Nima for sharing her experience and knowledge with us. We really appreciate the conversation and it was super thought provoking. Her social media handles and website will be linked in our description box. Since the recording of this episode, Nima has pivoted towards new beginnings in her anti-racism teaching. She is deeply appreciative for the work that she had opportunity to do in 2020. Please find her at Instagram at Nima, N-I-M-A period Novak, N-O-V-A-K. So unfortunately, I'm sad to say that this will be our last episode of 2020. This has been a year filled with vulnerability, unlearning, and discovery. Our team has learned so much from all of our interview guests this year, and we appreciate all the insight that we have now. So everyone, make sure to take care of yourselves, and we'll see you in 2021. Bye.